Well, praise the Lord. I thank you, church, for uh, your kindness, and uh, we do. We rejoice in what you're doing, and uh, it, is, it is a tremendous, a tremendous blessing to our family. Uh, the expenses we have going over there are just, uh, can be astronomical at times, and, uh, you know, God has just been faithful Amen. and has proven Amen. himself time and time and time again, and I don't even worry about it. Yes, I don't even worry about it. He just... He just provides, and so all the money that you take for the gospel tracts will be used to get the gospel out there in, in the land of Israel. I gave your pastor one of the tracts that we'll be using, so he'll put that out so you can see that, and I'll mention more about that tonight, about the, the gospel tracts that we use, and uh, good to have somebody from Australia with us. Yes, sir. The man we work with in Israel is from Australia, and uh, so he's, uh, he speaks a Australian Hebrew accent, and, uh, which is interesting, and, uh, and we have a time over in the land of Israel. I was telling your pastor about him last night, man, just an aggressive soul winner, and we just have a, it is awesome over there. We just, Hebrew word I learned last time was sababa. That's awesome. That is just amazing. So uh, it's a sababa time over there we have, and so we're looking forward to getting back. We'll be leaving March 1st. Uh, we'll be heading back home this week, and uh, we've got a missions conference at our home church at Calvary Baptist Church, and uh, we'll have a missions conference there next week, or the following week, and then we'll be up in New York preaching, and literally we close a meeting out up there, and we drive home two days later and fly out, so it's just going to be uh, interesting getting everything packed and, and ready to get, and so, uh, but we are, we're thrilled about it, and uh, looking ready forward to getting ready and just getting on the ground and, and uh, getting at it, so... Pray for us if you would. Got your Bibles, turn it to the book of Devarim, the book of Devarim, which is the book of Deuteronomy in chapter number 6. Deuteronomy chapter number 6, and I wasn't even planning on preaching this message at all, and uh, I've preached it a few times before, it's been quite some time, but the Lord began to stir my heart in between Sunday school and the morning service, so I went back there real quick trying to refresh my mind on it, and uh, the song that uh, the pastor's family just sang just goes right with this this morning, and so I thank the Lord for that. Deuteronomy chapter 6, we'll begin reading in verse number 1 down through verse number 15. If you've got your uh, Bible open there, I'll invite you to stand in reverence to the Word of God this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 6, you don't want to miss tonight. Tonight, Lord's willing, we're going to be preaching on the ancient Jewish wedding. And so we're going to go through and look at what uh, the ancient Jewish wedding was and the symbols and the pictures that it paints for us today. And it's quite, quite an amazing uh, scenario that the Lord gives us through the Word of God. Deuteronomy chapter number 6 and verse number 1, the Bible says, Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that you might do them in the land whether you go to possess it. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers has promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord." And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes." 
Thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. And it shall be, when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells dig which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve Him and shalt swear by His name. Ye shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are round about you. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. Father, we love you. So thankful for this privilege we have to be able to stand here this morning. And I pray that you'll take these thoughts and take your word this morning. And I pray that you'll speak to each and every heart. You know what everyone stands in need of today. And I pray that the Spirit of God would deal with each and every heart accordingly. We pray if there's one today that's never been saved by the grace of God, that you would convict their hearts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. May you save them by your marvelous grace. But I pray that you'd strengthen thy people today. May you be exalted in our midst and we'll praise you for what you'll do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You can be seated. Well, here we find here in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses, as he's addressing the children of Israel, they are there along the Jordan area, the Jordan border, right at the Jordan River. And it's been 40 years since uh, they had came out of Egypt and they had uh, wandered through the wilderness now for these last 40 years. And that generation has now passed off the scene who had uh, doubted God. It didn't have the faith to enter in there at Kadesh Barnea. But now, this generation that is arising up, this generation that is before them, Moses goes through in these first five chapters of Deuteronomy and he goes back reflecting upon the past. He goes back reminding them of what the past was like. You see, knowing the past will keep you sometimes from making the same mistakes in the future. And so if we can learn from our failures, then uh, hopefully we won't make the same mistakes. And so that's why I teach my children all the time. Listen, I made these mistakes as a kid. I made these mistakes as a teenager. Don't follow the same mistakes that I made. Learn from my mistakes. And they could learn from the, their father's mistakes that they made. And so here they're standing at this place and as he's reviewing this past and, and he's now telling them that they could have a successful life as they enter into the land of Canaan. And this life could be filled with the blessings of God. It could have the hand of God upon their lives as they enter into this land. But in order to have this blessing, and, uh, and is, it requires them to be obedient. You'll find from verse number 14 down through verse number 18. He tells them uh, that they should not go after the gods of the people that are around about them. Because God's a jealous God. He said, don't tempt the Lord your God as you tempted Him in Messiah. And then he says, you shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and His testimonies and His statutes, which He hath commanded thee. Look at verse 18. And thou shalt do that which is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest go in and possess the good land which the Lord sware unto thy fathers. God said, listen, just do right, do right. 
Our, our youth choir at our church sings a song. Do right, do right, do right. And, and they just instill that in our children. Just follow the Word of God. Do what the Word of God says. And you will have the blessings of God upon your life. That's what God is telling them. And here you'll find, though, it's interesting because God or Moses reminds them of one of God's attributes. You'll find in verse number 15. He says, For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you. It's interesting, I looked up that word jealous and I looked in Webster's dictionary and here's what Webster said. He said, it's a state of fear, suspicion or envy caused by a real or imagined threat. Well, though jealousy in our minds today is that very scenario, it is that scenario of a, a being suspicious, having a state of fear. But can I tell you that God is not sitting in a state of fear. He is not sitting there uh, worried about the future. He's not worried about tomorrow. He's not sitting there anxious, uh, trying to decide what's going to take place. I'm sorry, Webster, you may have gave the world's definition of it, but that's not the biblical definition. Because jealousy is an attribute of God. You will find that he even tells us in 2 Corinthians 11:2. He said, For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin of Christ. And so here you'll find that God again said, I'm jealous. I'm jealous. Now again, we use the concept of jealousy and say, well, this is a jealous man. It brings a negative tone to it. But you know what? I am a jealous man. I am jealous over my family. I'm jealous over my children. I'm jealous over my church. I'm telling you, I am jealous, and jealousy is a good attribute to have. Why? Because it's a godly attribute. Matter of fact, it's not just an attribute of God. Do you know that jealous is the name of God? If you look over in the book of Exodus real quick, in Exodus 34. Exodus chapter number 34 and verse number 14. Exodus 34 and verse number 14. In verse number 14, the Bible tells us there, For thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Here the word Kanah Elohim is used, and God is saying, I am jealous. I am a jealous God, that is my name. And God is jealous over His people. There's some things I want to show you here in the book of Deuteronomy. Three things, real quickly, that God is jealous over. God is jealous, first of all, if you'll look in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse number 2, here as Moses is talking to the children of Israel, he shows them here, listen, God is jealous over His precepts. In chapter 4, in verse number 2, look what he tells the children of Israel as they're getting ready to come into the land of Canaan. They're getting ready to come into this land, and he says, listen, thou, he said, ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. And so here we find God is telling this, telling them when you get into the land, he said, don't you mess with my word. Why? Because God is jealous over His Word. He is jealous over His precepts. He don't like people adding to the Word of God. He don't like people coming along and taking things out of the Bible. God gave us His Word and He's jealous over the Word of God. You'll find in the very beginning, Satan began to attack the very Word of God. That was his attack in the garden as he attacked Eve. And he had attacked uh, humanity. He is attacking the Word of God. Matter of fact, he told Eve there in verse number 1 of chapter 3, he says, Hath God said? 
What is he doing? He's attacking the integrity of the Word of God. He's telling Eve, can you trust the Bible? Can you trust what God said? And I'm telling you, that's exactly what the devil will tell you today. Can you trust the Word of God? And God's telling Moses to tell the children of Israel, you tell them, listen, when they enter into that land, don't you be messing with my Word. Why? Because my Word is sure. My Word stands fast, and it will stand faithful throughout the ages. Don't add to it, don't take away. So he attacked the integrity of the Scriptures. He intact the interpretation of the Scriptures as well. You'll find in verses 3 and 4 of Genesis 3, he, he told Eve, he said, uh, he said, lest you touch it, he said, ye shall not surely die. He said, you're not going to die if you touch the Word of God. You know what he's doing? He starts to intact the very interpretation of the Bible. Well, you're interpreting it wrong. You, you just misunderstood God is what you did. He didn't really mean that you're going to die. If you touch that fruit, you're going to be all right. You see, you're just interpreting the Word of God wrong. is what he, And that's exactly what Satan will tell you. Well, listen, it doesn't mean this. The Bible doesn't really mean this. There's a very big gray area in it. There is no gray area of the Word of God. God said it, and, and, and it is settled forever. He said, my Word is settled forever in heaven. And so he attacks the interpretation of the Word of God. He attacks the credibility of the Scriptures. He said in verse number 5, God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof. You see, he starts attacking, well, can you really trust God? You see, God's not been all accurate with you. He's not told you the truth is what Satan is telling Eve. He's saying you can't rely upon Him. I'm telling you, that's exactly the, the, the way that Satan will do it today, steal today. Then he attacks the content of the Scriptures. He began to add to it in verse number 5 as well. You see, that's exactly what the Jews did after they got into the land later on. That's what I was going to go through in Sunday school. I didn't get there, but, uh, but there in Mark chapter number 7, in verse number 7, here's what Jesus said. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men, for laying aside the commandment of God that you, can, you hold the tradition of men, as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things you do. And he said unto them, Full well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. You see, what happened was is they took the Bible and they set the Bible aside, literally laid it aside so they can keep the traditions of the elders. And they would rather follow the teachings of men than the Word of God. You see, Satan started that attack in Genesis 3, and he's not backed off yet. He still attacks it today. He is still in that same pursuit today over attacking the Word of God. But I want to tell you, God is jealous over His precepts. Not only is He jealous over His precepts, He's jealous over His possessions. If you'll see in chapter number 6 of the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 6, look at verse number 23. Here in verse number, verse number, or back up real quick to verse number 12. Because in verse number 12, look what he says. Then beware lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. He's saying, listen, when you get into the land, don't forget what God's done for you. God, you don't want to forget what God has done in your lives and where He's brought you from. And so, uh, and so He reminds them of what God brought them out of. He brought them out of bondage. He brought them out of Egypt. But can I say God just didn't bring them out? He brought them in. And you'll find there in verse number 23, look what he says. And he brought us out from thence that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swear unto our fathers. He said God's purpose wasn't just to bring you out of bondage, but it was to bring you into something. It was to bring you out, but to bring you into something. And so here he goes through, you'll find, he, he shows them in chapter 5 in verse number 2 that he's going to bring them into a covenant. 
God has brought them out of Egypt that He might bring them into a bread, into a covenant with Him. He says in verse number 2, The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. The Lord made not this covenant with our fathers, but with us. Even us, who are all of us here alive this day. You see, God brought them out that He might establish a relationship with them. That He might bring them into this covenant. And bring them into this relationship uh, in verse number 24. Look what He says in chapter 5 of verse number 24. And ye said, Behold, the Lord our God has showed us His glory and His greatness. And we have heard His voice out of the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God doth talk with man and and He liveth. Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, then we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that hath heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and lived? You see, God didn't just bring them out to bring them in. He brought them out to bring them into that covenant, first of all. But then He brought them out to bring them into a relationship. You see, here the children of Israel were leaving all the paganism of Egypt. They're coming into another land that's filled with paganism, was filled with idolatry. But you know what God said? Hey, listen, I'm a living God. What other God is there being that can talk with His people that they've heard Him speak? I'm reminded as, as Elijah stood there on Mount Carmel and as he's standing out on Carmel looking out over the valley of Megiddo. As you can stand there today looking out over the valley of Megiddo, you can turn around, look back and see the Mediterranean Sea behind you. And as he's standing there and all the prophets of, of Baal came and they gathered 450 prophets together and here they are and Elijah, Elijah begins to mock them and say, hey, uh, why don't you you know, they're cutting themselves and they're doing all these things. He goes, you know, maybe you need to speak a little louder. Maybe, you're, maybe your God is sleeping. Maybe he's on a trip somewhere. And, and he just began to mock these gods of these pagans, uh, uh, Jews that were practicing this paganism. You see, they were just statues. I remember we were passing down through uh, Bet Shean and we're heading down Interstate Highway 90, heading down towards Jericho, and there's this little mound sitting out on the side of the road out in this field. And my one son Daniel, he's studying to be an archaeologist, and he said, uh, he said, Daddy, this is an ancient city. This is Tel Rehov. And uh, he said, Let's see if we can get in there. So we pull over and we're trying to find a way to get in this fence and get across this pasture and it was so grown up and it was terrible. And we never could find a way to get in this thing. And, and so it was... It was the beginning of last year I heard on, uh, it was on Fox News uh, of an article they found. Little bitty Israeli boy was walking up on Tel Rehkov. And he looks down and he sees this woman staring at him. And he picks up this four inch statue of Ashtaroth. 3500 B.C., a statue of Ashtaroth. He picked up just sitting there on the ground. You see, but you know what? All that is is a piece of stone. There's no voice from it. It can't hear. It can't speak. But I'm telling you, the God of Israel, listen, they can have a relationship with Him. They can pray to Him and He can answer them. They have a fellowship with Him. That's what He's telling them. You can enter in into this relationship. But he brought you out that he might bring you into a land. In verse number 23, he describes it as a land that floweth with milk and honey. And so here he's bringing them into a good land. And then he brings them in to fulfill his promises. In chapter 6 and verse number 10. He says, And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers. Unto uh, to, to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And uh, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not. He said, God is bringing you into a land that He swear unto the fathers. 
You see, God is bringing them into a land because He promised them. And I'm telling you, listen, they can rely upon the promises of God. When God said it, listen, they can mark it down. And they have to learn and they should look back and learn how faithful God was in the past. And if God was faithful in the past, then He will be faithful in the future. And they can rely upon these promises. Why? Because they have a relationship with Him. Because they have a covenant with Him. And God promised this land unto them. Then God brought them out to bring them in. Then He might give them a better life. He said there in verse number 10 all the way down in verses 11 as well. He said, uh, he said to give thee goodly cities which thou buildest not. Houses full of all good things which thou fillest not. And wells dig which thou diggest not. Vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full. Beware. Lest thou forget the Lord. You see, God's going to bring you into a land, a better land, a good land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Five times throughout chapter number 6, He makes this statement, that it may be well with thee. That it may be well with we. Over and over, God is saying, listen, hey, if you'll just do these principles, if you'll follow the Word of God, it'll be well with you. If you just obey God and do what the Bible says, then it'll be well with you. He keeps giving this promise over and over again. You see, God is jealous over His precepts. But God also is jealous over His possessions. But then you'll find, lastly, God is jealous over His position. Real quickly, let me just show you these few things. See, God gives us that warning in verse number 12, Then beware, lest thou forget the Lord. And He gives us this warning because of all the inhabitants that they're coming into in verses 14 and 15. They're, they're, they're these inhabitants that worship other gods. God's saying, don't go after these other gods. Don't follow their ways. Many of the Old Testament laws and principles that God gave them was because of what the heathen were doing. And when he tells them to go in the land, he said, don't mar the corners of your beards. Why? Because that's what the heathen did. He said, don't look like them. He gives them dietary laws. Don't eat like them. Don't look like them. Don't walk like them. He didn't want any resemblance of his people in comparison to that of the children of, of the land of Canaan. Don't follow them. And so here, here you'll find that there he's, he's giving them this warning. Notice what he says in verse number 4. This is, this is like the John 3.16 of the Old Testament to the Jewish people. To a religious Jew, this verse is quoted normally three times a day. It's called the Shema. Shema in Hebrew means to hear. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. But notice what the Bible says here. Because God is telling them that He wants to be first and foremost in their lives. He wants the first place in their life. And he goes through and he stresses four areas here in these next couple of verses that he wants the preeminence in. And I'm telling you, listen, I've heard one person say it, if Christ is worth anything, then he's worth everything. And if he's worth anything to you here today, then he needs to be first place in your life because he is worth everything. First of all, he wants preeminence in our heart. Look what he says there in verse number 5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Here in verse number 5, God is not commanding them to love Him. Let me show you what God is not saying here. He's not saying, you've got to love me. The command is not here to love. The word love, ahavte, is not a command form. It's not in that at all. God is not saying, you've got to love me. He's not, uh, it's not in the imperative form, but it's actually in the declarative form. You see, here this word, ahavte, God is, God's not saying, preacher, 
you've got to love me. You know, I've never went up to my children, any of my five boys, and said, you better love me. I've never had to force them to love me. I've never twisted their arm and said, you've got to love me. No, they did love me. They loved me, why? Because I'm their father. And there's something natural within them just to love their parents. And, and, and to want to spend time with them and to fellowship with them. There's something natural in that. And this is the word that God is using here. It's not commanding them, you've got to love me. He's saying, you should love me. Yes, that's it. And if you're going to love me, then I want you to do it with all your heart. If you're going to love me at all, he said, I don't want a little bit of your heart. I want all your heart. Now, I'm not a doctor, but they say, uh, doctors, when I was reading about the heart, they said the heart is divided into four chambers. Each chamber, chamber has, a, has a valve to prevent a backflow. Interesting thought there. And so here you'll find uh, each one of these chambers has this, has this valve to prevent this backflow. And so, and so here, as this human heart is made up of all four chambers, you know what God is saying here? He wants the preeminence in every chamber of our heart. Of every area of our life. And you know, I've seen so many of God's people, they, they say, oh, I love God, and yet they're, they're angry with their brother, they're angry with their sister because somebody hurt their feelings here and somebody hurt their feelings there, and they're filled with bitterness, and they're filled with, with strife and all these different things. You know what? You can't love God with all your heart if you're harboring anything in one of these chambers. Look over real quick in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, I was preaching on this the other day at our church. In Ephesians chapter number 4, Paul goes through, or in Ephesians uh, chapter 4 and verse number, verse number 24, he talks about putting on the new man. Putting on that new man. How do you put on the new man? Well, you got to take off the old man, is what he says. And so you got to put, put off the old man and putting, uh, put on this new man. How do you do that? And he tells us there, by the renewing of your mind. Our battle is in our mind. Our struggles are all in our mind. And he goes through these things about things that you need to put off. Putting away, verse 25, lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. But rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good. Verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good. Verse number 30, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You know what I saw as we come down through those verses? That word let, it just keeps jumping out. And you know what let means? It's a choice. It's a choice. You can let bitterness in your heart and let it live there, let it dwell there, and, and let it bring forth uh, roots in your heart. The Bible talks about the root of bitterness. And I'm telling you, if you don't get that bitterness out of your heart, I'm telling you, it will grow roots and it'll be hard to get rid of it. But it's a choice you make. Well, I can't forgive this person. Why not? If Christ was willing to forgive you, why can't you forgive them? Well, how can I forgive them? You know what you're doing? You're not giving God all your heart. Listen, if you have anger in your heart, a bitterness in your heart, or sin in your heart, then God doesn't have first place in all your heart. And He said when you come into the land, He said, I want to have first place in your heart. He wants the preeminence in, his, in our heart. And again, God's not saying, you've got to do this. He just expects you to do it. 
Why? Because of what He brought you out of. Look at what He brought you out of. He brought them out of bondage. He brought them out of Egypt. He brought them out that He might bring them in and give them all this good thing. Why would you not love Him? To force somebody and say, well, you've got to love God is just absurd. It makes absolute no sense. I got saved. Somebody, nobody told me you've got to love God. There was something natural within me that was grateful for what He has done for me. And it makes me love Him. And it makes me love Him as the days go by, as the song says. Why? Because God is good. It doesn't matter if I'm going through the storms or through the valleys. This year has been the worst year of my life. I've been through more trials this year with my health than I have ever in my life. I'm talking about almost bedridden for months. I mean, the, the, and it's just been one thing after another. And you know what? It doesn't change who God is. Even though Satan would sit there and battle me in my mind saying, why is this happening and why is that happening? It doesn't change who God is. It's renewing that mind. It's changing that way we're thinking. And it's putting off that old man that would say, Hey, uh, listen, you can't do this and you're a failure. And, and listen, God's done with you. Or all these different things. No, it's the renewing of that mind. It's letting God have every area and every aspect of your life. And, and it's letting God and putting God back in His first place in your life. And it ought to be just natural. And so God wants preeminence in our heart. He wants preeminence in our hand. In verse number 8, he says in, in Deuteronomy, Thou shalt bind them upon thine hand. And he's speaking here of what they call the phylacteries, or in Hebrew, the tefillin. Jesus spoke about the Pharisees uh, binding those phylacteries upon their arm. And this is the, what he's talking about here, these phylacteries. And the hand speaks about authority, and it speaks about power. You see, God wants not only first place in our hearts, but in, 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 a, in superiority over us as well. Not my will, but His will be done. God, whatever you want in my life. When we lift our hands, you'll find as the hands are lifted in the Bible, it speaks about uh, rebellion. It speaks about rejection. But it also speaks about submission. When you lift your hands in praise towards God, you know what you're saying? You have all power. It's not me, but it's you, Lord. We lift our hands in songs and, 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 and lifting up the Lord. Listen, that's what we're saying, God, to you be the glory. You are exalted. You have all authority. You have all power. What happened when, when Miriam lifted her hand towards her brother? It was stricken with lepers. Why? Because she challenged the authority. See, it's not about me. It's all about Him. Let Him have the authority. And so He speaks about our, our hand real quickly. He, he talks about our head in verse number 8. Thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand. Thou shalt be as frontlets between thine eyes. That's the second part of the phylactery. You'll put it between your eyes. And that's where the focus is. That is where our thinking, that is where our mind is. That is, and Paul talks about it in the book of Philippians as he deals with the mind over and over again. And he says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. What? That servant mind. Lord, what can I do? God, I want to be in whatever you want me to do. I want to do it, Lord. Having that submissive mind. But then he says, uh, he wants first place in our homes. Verse number 9. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. So God wants superiority in our hearts, in our hand, in our head, and also in our homes. What? In teaching our children. In teaching our children to what? To love God. That's what he's telling them. Teaching them to love the Lord thy God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their might. 
You know what the concept he's given, the picture he's given here is? In whatever you're doing in life, teach your kids to love him. You know, I mean, it even likens in, in, the, in the book of Psalms to uh, the arrows in, in the hand of a mighty man. You know, you get out and teach your kids to hunt and to fish. We get out with bow and arrows with my boys and we'll shoot those bow and arrows. And you know, as I'm teaching them to shoot bow and arrows, you know what I should be doing as well? Teaching them to love God. Yes, sir. In every area, in every aspect of their lives to love God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their mind. So God wants first place. And so my thought to you this morning is, boy, if God could just open up the windows of our heart this morning and open up all four chambers of our heart, what would He find there? You know, in Mark 7, He goes through and He gives a list of all the things that defile a man. You know, the Pharisees looked at the cups and the vessels and, the, and all these different items. But Jesus said it's not in the material things that defile a man. It's not what the man eats that defiles him. It's what's in his heart that defiles him. And he goes through that list there in Mark chapter number 7. Lust and envy and all these different things that defiles a man's heart. If God was to look into our heart this morning, what does he see? Is there anything in your heart, anything in your heart that God doesn't have first place in? And if there is this morning, we should get rid of it. We should get that out of our heart. I remember it was last year my brother had had another stent put in. I don't know how many stents he's got in his heart. I guess he's got, I don't know, 15 maybe? I mean, he's, I think he's going for a Guinness's Book of World Record on stents of how many a person could get. I mean, he's just, it's unbelievable how many. And you know what? When he leaves the hospital after getting a new stent, he stops by Waffle House. And it's like, Greg, what are you thinking, you know? It just, I just love to eat, is what he says. But you know what? When we look at, look at our lives, you know, and I thought about my brother. You know, there's some people in churches, sometimes they just need a stent put in. You know, that stent will get that blood flowing again. And sometimes we can just get comfortable and stagnant and just comfortable where we're at. And sometimes we need some of those arteries opened up again. Let the blood flowing. Get that blood flowing once again in our heart again. Some, some of you might need just a stent this morning. Amen. Some of you may just need a good diet, good exercise. You know, they'll tell you, just start getting in shape. Just start exercising. You know, get on the treadmill. We got tour groups that come over to Israel. I tell them months in advance, get you a treadmill, get on it. Because we do extreme Bible tours in Israel. And I mean, I will walk you to death. You will get so much Bible, it's just unbelievable. I just all day long, we're loading you with the Word of God and walking you to death. I said, get in shape. I mean, some of you just need some good exercise. Getting back in your Bible. Getting back on your knees. Just getting back in the basics of the things of God. Just getting back in it. Just, just that good diet, good exercise. But you know, some people just need a good bypass. Sometimes that stand ain't going to work. Sometimes, listen, that, that root of bitterness or roots of whatever it may be is done taking root. And you know what you need? You just need a good bypass Amen. this morning. And I'm telling you what, God is able. Amen. He's able to do exceeding yes. abundantly. Yes. But there may be some this morning, and you know what? You don't need a stent. You don't need a bypass. You just need a new heart. And in the book of Jeremiah, he promises that God would literally give us a new heart. Right. In this new covenant that he wants to give. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never had a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, as these children of Israel coming in, listen, they, they had this relationship. God made this covenant with them. Has He made a covenant with you? He's provided the covenant. Jesus died on the cross. He tasted death for every man. He died that you could have life. 
and have it more abundantly. Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And yet, many people won't partake of it. Many won't accept it. Many won't take it. But can I say it's provided? It is provided for all that will. If you're here this morning and you've never been saved, can I tell you, listen, Jesus died that you could have life and that you could enter a relationship with Him forever. But as a child of God, maybe you're here this morning and you just need to come and take a good look in your heart. I read an old Chinese proverb one time and it said the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. And then it said the second best time is today. You can't go back 20 years ago, but today is the day. You can change it today. You can start over again today. You can have a fresh walk, a fresh relationship. You can renew that walk with Him today. If there's anything that's hindering in your walk with God today, over and over in Hebrews, He said, Today, if you hear His voice, harden not your heart. Today's the day. As every head's bowed, every eye closed, as pastor comes, maybe you're here this morning and you'll say, Preacher, I don't know if I died, I'd go to heaven. I'm not sure that if I was to die today that heaven would be my home. When you pray, would you pray for me? Is there anybody like that? Real quickly, just slip up your hand. Not going to embarrass you. God bless you. I see that little hand. Maybe there's somebody else today. I'm just not sure that if I died, I'd go to heaven. Pray for me. Anybody like that? Anyone like that? All right. Well, then this message is for you, God's people. How's your heart this morning? How's your heart? Father, have your will and way in this invitation. In Jesus' name.